Well, I hope you all had a good Christmas. Good morning. It's amazing to turn on the radio and see the Christmas carols have all disappeared suddenly, so <clears throat> the world moves on, but we know that we celebrate this all year. And this morning we're going to continue to look at the Old Testament promises, the themes of covenant. The first week, three weeks ago, Keith had started this series with a general overview of the covenants and the uh, shadows and types that we see um, hidden at in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament, and we'll look at that greatly this morning. Second week, we had er uh, Emmanuel Corapati did a great job looking at David, how David fulfilled the, David, the Davidic king kingdom, and how that um, um, reflected in the uh, life of Christ. And then last week, we had uh, Dan Phillips went over the issues of um, Emmanuel, how Emmanuel works through and we see that all through the Old Testament, how Christ fulfills that. So it's been a rich series, and we want to continue this morning by talking about Jesus and the Abrahamic Covenant, how the Abrahamic Covenant is fulfilled in Christ. Long before Christ was born in Bethlehem, God made a promise to bless the entire world, and we'll see the incredible promise, how that's fulfilled this morning in the New Testament. So let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this time together as we look at your promise to Abraham, how you hinted to them that at 430 years the Israelites would be captive in Egypt, we begin to see that you are a God who stands outside of time. You are the God of eternity. Father, you are a God of promises, and you are faithful in keeping those promises. And Father, as we look at these passages today, help it to mold our hearts and remind us of your goodness and your grace to us, especially in the provision of your Son. We thank you, Father, for this time. May it be worthwhile to all. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, I was watching a video a few months ago <clears throat> by Dr. Sproul, and he said that he um, would go to early conferences that were held by Ligonier, and they had just published the first set of books so that, you know, some of his, um, I believe, um, um, the first one was uh, The Holiness of God, and people would come up to the book table and they'd start saying, Dr. Sproul, what's your life verse? And he said, at that time, I really had never thought about that. He said, there was lots of verses in the Bible that I loved, but I never really thought about having a life verse. So he said he started writing into the, into the front of the books, Genesis 15, 17. And he said, people would come back to the table and with a quizzical look and say, are you sure? Is this the verse you really mean? And he said, yes. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And then he would briefly explain to them just the immense fulfillment of that promise. That, and we'll talk about that, how God takes on the covenant curses in this, in this episode. We see in the um, seventh chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, Man by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, the Lord was pleased to make a second commonly called the covenant of grace, whereby he freely offered into sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto life his Holy Spirit to make them willing and to believe. This covenant of grace is frequently set forth in the scripture by the name of a testament in reference to the death of Christ, the testator, and to the everlasting inheritance with all things belonging therein bequeathed. So we're going to see how that works out this morning in the promises to Abraham and then how it's ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. So in Genesis 12, 1 to 6, 
The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So if you look at a map, you begin to see that, that Ur, uh, Ur of the Chaldees is on the far side of the, per, the Persian peninsula. So it's a 1,500-mile journey to get over to Canaan. And, you know, we look in the, in the, in the Genesis narrative and we see that Noah was a righteous man who walked with God. But Abraham was a pagan, coming out of a pagan land. And it is, you know, it's something that because we've read it so often, it's very easy to become insulated to it. But to think of what it means to leave everything that's familiar to you and go on a journey, a far, far journey, uh, in those days when there was no uh, Motel 6s or other accommodations, you know. Uh, Ur of the Chaldees was a port, uh, and um, what is today modern Iraq, what would be a, uh, today Iraq, um, and so it was a thriving city, so there was probably a lot of uh, amenities there that, that, that Abraham walked away from, all, along with those that he brought with him. Um, <clears throat> we also note that in the previous chapter, in Genesis 11, we have the narrative about the Tower of Babel, and if you read through the narrative there, one of the aims that the people had was to make a name for themselves. They were usurping God because we're going to see that it's God's right, it's God's provision, God's purview to be able to choose the name. And we'll see that with Abram to Abraham and so forth, Sarai to Sarah. So um, in Genesis 11, they were usurping that. So we'll see that God calls Abraham, um, which in the Semitic is exalted father. And in a little bit later on at 17, changes to Abraham, father of many nations. Just like the angel comes to Joseph and says, his name will be Jesus, Yeshua, um, Je Jehovah is salvation. So that is God's right, God's purview to be able to pick a name. When Terry was first teaching, my wife Terry was first teaching back in the 1980s, she was having children in her class that were the first kind of um, progeny or offspring of hippie parents. And so she would have moonbeams and sunflowers and... and <laughs> Different, different kind of hippie kind of names. But back in that day, a name had a significance. A name had a meaning. You got a name that, that had gravitas to it, that represented who you were. So at Genesis 15, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. You see this work through the, the narrative again and again where, where obviously in, in that day and age it was very important to have an heir to someone that you could give your estate to. But also uh, we see that Abraham and Sarah um, conspire at a couple different times. Um, one's with Abimelech and he lies about Sarah saying it's his sister because she's such a beautiful woman which is an amazing thing since Sarah's up you know probably in her 60s or 70s by now and then later on with when they're down in Egypt he lies to Pharaoh and says that Sarah is his sister there's also this this concern we see um, how they begin to try to um, 
generate their own fulfillment of that promise by Abraham uh, giving, um, or Sarah giving Abraham her handmaiden Hagar to him, and we know that uh, how that works out, so we'll get to that in a minute. So in the passage, then the word of the Lord came to him, the man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to, them, to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham exercised faith. Not a perfect faith because we're going to see that, you know, they, that Abraham at times tried to uh, <coughs> figure out or work to make God's promise uh, by human means and God shows him that that is not the plan. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? I read or I saw a video a few years ago of uh, Dr. Sproul talking about being on a, a a trip to Israel and they took him outside into Negev into the desert far away from the lights of, of um, Jerusalem and he said the stars you just look up and see the Milky Way and see the expanse of the stars is an amazing thing so can you imagine what it must have been like for God telling that to Abraham look up and here you are you know in your 70s or approaching 80 at this point and you will have as many offspring as the stars you see. What, what an incredible promise it was and how amazing it must have been. He also said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these things to him to cut them into two and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. One of the, carcass, one, um, one of the commentaries talked about the carcasses actually being you know, a manifestation of, of, of evil, that you know, how Satan does not want this to happen. The carcasses wanted to, the, the, the vultures, the carrion wanted to disrupt the process. Now, in, in the Old Testament times, in Semitic times, this was how a contract was done. When two parties were agreeing to, uh, to um, fulfill a contract, they would take an ant, several animals, cut them in half, and both members of the party would walk through, as if to say, if both ends of this contract are not fulfilled, I'm br I will bring these curses down upon myself. What amazes Abraham is we see here that the Lord, the Lord alone, you know, walks, between, walks between the segments of the animals. Uh, the great significance of that Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down, and as I said, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. So, you know, God is telling him right now, you know, that, that we know the sojourn. Joseph goes down, becomes... Uh, ha second in command to Pharaoh and the Israelites go and for 400, actually 430 years they're there before God delivers them through Moses, um, through himself, but using Moses as the agent. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. I was reading a commentary when I did uh, Exodus a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, and, and talked about how God in his gracious timing knew that the, the Canaanite land was not ready for them yet to come in. The 40 years was a time of preparation for uh, them to be ready for Israel to be able to enter that. So once again, you see God's, God's care there. 
When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenesites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgasites, and Jebusites. So what we see is a flaming torch. We see fire again and again as a representation, as a theophany. Theophany, Theo, God, and Phaneros, a manifestation, a manifestation of God. We see it at the burning bush. You know, the burning bush the, 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 is, is, is not burned up. Moses is called aside because he's fascinated by the fact this bush is not being consumed. We see it at uh, Sinai, uh, fire and thunder. You know, so when God is present, we see fire. In Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then in Hebrews 12.29, God is a consuming fire. So we see this here in this narrative. And what an amazing thing it must have been for Abraham. Abraham believes, yet is astonished at the promise and laments how this could be, knowing that he and Sarah are far beyond childbearing years at this point. I'm coming up on 68, and I know if Terry came home to me and said, you know, honey, we're going to have a baby, I'd hit the floor, you know? Uh, it, it, it's just so easy to read the narrative and, and not be astounded by it. And then we see that God then waits several more years before this promise is fulfilled. Um, we see that Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarah, try to uh, engender this by giving you know, Sarah's handmaid. And uh, we know that if you look at history, that um, the offspring of that is Ishmael. Uh, Ishmael, God tells Hagar, will be a man of, of conflict. And we certainly see how that is played out. The is Ishmael is seen by uh, <coughs> by the Muslim faith as their f one of their first great prophets. So it, it just speaks to me about how the fact that when you disobey God, there are consequences that go for a year or decades or millennia. We're still seeing some of the, the, the outcome of, of, of uh, Hagar and, uh, or of Ishmael today. But God promises that he will protect Hagar. It's a very gracious, you know, t she's sitting there waiting for Hagar uh, to, for Ishmael to die and uh, because they're without water and God comes and provides for them. So in answer to Abraham's doubt, God provides a tangible promise. In the Semitic period, two individuals entering a covenant would, would do this, would cut, as I said, cut the animals apart and then the covenant curse would fall upon either party. But the covenant curse falls upon God. What do we know? God cannot lie. God's character does not change. So when God says he'll do it, Abraham was given a solid promise. And yet we see that Abraham, being a sinner, at times doubted. Um, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Oh, I'm sorry. Page. So we go to Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, so we're looking at you know, 13, 14 years past, still no offspring. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give you as an everlasting possession to you 
and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. It is a cutting. The animals are cut apart, right? The certain circumcision, there's a cutting. It's, uh, we see that the promise of nations is, and we'll talk about this more in, in detail, but it's not just for this time, it's for a promise of the nation, the, the, the nation, the Christian, the, the deliverance of the church that will come in Christ. And obviously at the time Abraham, you know, has faith, but probably doesn't fully understand all the implications of it. But God is faithful, and we see that working out here. Um, so circumcision was provided, and we know that um, you see this from this point through uh, the New Testament. We, the Judaizers begin to create conflict in the first century church as to whether or not a believer is truly a believer unless they get circumcised. And, you know, Paul de deals with this in Romans. And, and um, so this issue comes up again and again. God said to Abraham, as to also to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that you will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell down. He laughed and said to him, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with you. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I, have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. I don't know if you've ever read through A.W. <coughs> Pink. Um, you know, a Pink was great at being able to see connections and looking at the idea of shadows and types, but he said something that, that touched me. He said, you know, God provides Isaac for Abraham and Sarah, a child of laughter, but God the Father provides us a man of sorrows. All right. Just really very humbling. On that very day, Abraham took his son Eshmael and all those born in his household and bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Eshmael was 13. Abraham and his son Eshmael were both circumcised on that very day and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household. Um, so think about the fact that Ishmael is now 13 and still no heir. You know, that how, what faith Abraham, Abraham had to exercise, how hard it must have been you know, to have this promise almost 25, 30 years before and still not seeing it fulfilled. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Another theophany. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. He said, if I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to see your servant. And very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent. Quick, he said, get three sieves of the finest flour needed and bake some bread. 
They ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf. This is in the Semitic world. This is what you would do for a visitor. Um, Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, she said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Ninety-year-old woman. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So Sarah was afraid. She lied, right? And when God confronted her, she said, I did not laugh. But God says, yes, you did laugh. So we see Isaac, a son of laughter. Sarah laughs with skepticism, but afterwards, uh, her laughter is quite, her laughter is one of joy, you know, laughter of, of great joy. It's just an amazing thing. To, to this, this child comes, it's so late in life. And we see this again, you know, at the coming of Christ with uh, his cousin John the Baptist, Elizabeth being a barren and uh, up in age. And God graciously provides um, a child to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So, Tim just last week said something that just so struck me that if you look in the, in the Hebrew uh, when it's talking about uh, Abraham and Isaac, it said, <coughs> you know, your only son when he calls him to sacrifice Isaac. But really in the Hebrew, it's your only. You know, the idea that, that Abraham had perhaps made an idol out of, of this son. And we see this at uh, chapter 22. <clears throat> Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded the donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I go over there with the boy. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Uh, Abraham says, we, you know, the hope, you know, even though it does not look that way, the hope that, that he'll be bringing Abraham, or Isaac back with him. Abraham then took wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together, and Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The father and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went in together. I often think about this, you know, Isaac, probably late teens, uh, his obedience. I mean, it doesn't say that he fought Abraham. They reached, it says, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and ranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac on, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What must have been going through Isaac's mind at the time? Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. And he said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withhold him your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. 
And Abraham returned to his servants and set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now, <coughs> the wonder of these narratives is to be able to see then how this works out in the New Testament, how this is fulfilled in Christ. Um, we, you know, see that um, just so many rich passages in Galatians and, and, um, and Hebrews and, and Corinthians. From Hebrews chapter 11, we see, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. His hope was for a fulfillment, you know, a fulfillment of something so much greater than what he was seeing. You know, a faith that the Lord would provide. Oh, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and from him, that man as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the numeral grains of sand of the seashore. We certainly see this fulfilled by the time of uh, the uh, Israelites uh, leaving Egypt. It says that there's 600,000 males, so you think there's probably a million people by that point, a million Israelites. Thank you, Greg. So God faithfully fulfills that promise. The promise here is not just to Israel, but to the descendants by God's grace the church that are called into Christ's kingdom. Abraham is looking to an eternal city. He's looking to something far greater than just what, what is seen there. Um, at Galatians 3, 7, 14, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with the Abraham, the man of faith. So you notice in there, it says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. You know, the, the hope was there, that God, that this, just a nascent seed of it, but the hope was there for what would be fulfilled in Christ. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. We see this in, in the Genesis 12, Genesis 17 narrative that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we see Abraham faithfully takes Isaac, puts him on the wood, goes to sacrifice him, and God graciously delivers at, at the last moment, provides the ram, provides a sacrifice. But God the Father provides his son. You know, it's, it's, it's truly, I, I texted um, Keith yesterday and said I was so humbled by the fact that the one father is delivered, but another father gave up what was most precious to him, that, he, that God the Father gives us Jesus so that we might have, we might have salvation. And Hebrews 7. Now, we, we know that when Abraham comes back from trying to, to not trying to, but by delivering Lot from the kings of, of the valley, uh, he has encountered Melchizedek, a priest with no beginning and no end. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 
So we see this, this kind of uh, hope here in, in, in the narrative with Abraham. Uh, Abraham gives him a tithe, and it says that his offspring, because at this time um, his offspring is still in his loins, that the, the tithe is presented before Melchizedek. But we know that the, in Hebrews 7 it talks about that Jesus fulfills the Melchizedek and priesthood, that the Aaronic priesthood was set aside that Jesus, a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And like the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints us as high priest, men in their all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. The priesthood of you know, we see this with uh, Zechariah uh, going into um, the, the, the Holy of Holies once a year. The priest was assigned that and how, how we are graciously delivered from that on the cross that the, the temple curtain is split. The way, the way to the Holy of Holies is opened. You know, no longer is that, is that only for the high priest, but it's open to all believers. Romans 4. What should we say then? was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised, for we say that, what, that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that led by faith, which is still which while well, he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who not only merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So we know in the, Old, the New Testament it says it's a circumcision of the heart. Right? It's a cleansing ritual, the, the, the circumcision in the same way in the New Testament, fulfilled in baptism, in the cleansing of sin. Um, just just the, the connections between the, the covenant of Abraham and how they're fulfilled in the New Testament are truly amazing. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of, adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that all he should become the father of many nations. He had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. And yet we know in the narrative that at times he struggled with that. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for yours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trans- trespasses and raised for our justification. So we just see this, this fulfillment, how the Abrahamic promise is then fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, Paul also talks in Romans and points to this, but it's not as through the word of God it failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. But this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. Just, you know, an amazing, an amazing thing how God's, how God's, God's care and his tenderness in, in this narrative. Um, you know, and what a joyous thing it must have been to see that fulfillment and how for us the fulfillment of seeing Christ faithfully you know, going all, all, all through all that he did, you know, to, to be humbled um, and to take on the, the shame of the cross and to be able to um, be on the cross. And we know that on the cross, after suffering, you know, that the weight of, of the Father's abandonment and the sure weight of our sins to still to be able to say, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, you know, this... So as you read the narrative of Abraham next time as you're going through Genesis, think about that, you know, how, how we see these things so fully, you know, that God, God is a God of promise, that at this time, you know, 2,000 years before, that God is making this promise and we see then graciously how it is fulfilled. On your handout, you'll see there's some other shadows that are fulfilled in Jesus, uh, Matthew 2.6. But you, O Bethlehem, from Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for, for from you shall come forth one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. Bethlehem was, you know, David's, uh, from David was from Bethlehem as well. We just see the house of bread, Bethlehem, the house of bread. You know how God's promise in Micah is then fulfilled. I was watching in the news last night and they said because of COVID, they had to shut down uh, in the Holy Land all the, the festivities they have there um, the, uh, where they think the church and the nativity is, you know, where, the, uh, where it is assumed. The archaeologists, you know, there's been some debate about whether it's actually the site, but <coughs> it's a, a, a great site of celebration every year. And COVID has kind of impacted that. Matthew 2.15 is seen in Hosea 11.1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, Mary and Joseph, you know, sojourn because of what Herod does. Herod slaughters all the children under two, and and Mary and Joseph go to uh, Egypt for a season and then return when the angel comes and says that, you know, Herod is dead and it's, it's safe to come home. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called him. Matthew 2.17 is reflected in Jeremiah 31.15. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You know, the, the, the slaughter of a, the Herod uh, insists the slaughter of all, all babies under the age of two when he realizes that the Magi have not returned. Um, you know, just what a, what a craven heart. What, what terrible, you know, what terrible... Um, sinfulness this reflects. 
Matthew 4 is reflected in Numbers 14, 23. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your body lies in the wilderness. We know that Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, uh, was you know, without food and without comfort, and suffered the temptation, of, um, faithfully suffered the temptation of Satan, and yet uh, you know, quoted scripture again and again to Satan to, to, to uh, close Satan down. Matthew 4.4 4 is reflected in Deuteronomy 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and the feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, which Jesus uh, rebu- rebukes Satan with that when he says, take these stones, you know, you're, you're the son of God, take these stones and, t- and t- turn them into bread. <coughs> Matthew 4.7 Uh, is reflected in Deuteronomy 6, 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as he did at Massa. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. That's when, you know, Satan said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down to me. And then Matthew 4, 10, the last temptation, Deuteronomy 6, 13. Um, Fear, Jesus says to him, fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. You know, so... We see this promise, you know, what has what is, what is Abraham promised? He's promised a great nation. Uh, that nation is the church. He's promised uh, a great name. And he's promised that his, he will be a blessing, a blessing to the nations, you know. So God is faithful. Uh, this narrative just reminds us that the ultimate blessing is Jesus. He is our blessing, not just his death, but also his very life. His life lives us with us in faith. In Christ, Paul says, we have every spiritual blessing in him, in Ephesians 1.3. Because we have, and Peter, 2 Peter 1.3 says, because we have his likeness growing inside us, this means that we have all we need for life and godliness. God provides all that we need. So as we finish the Christmas season, as we come out of it, we remind us that Christmas is just not about the physical blessings of family and gifts. These things are mere shadows we see in the Old Testament, but Jesus is the true blessing, his death and his indwelling life. So that's just kind of a quick overview of, of that covenant. So any questions or comments? Yes, Dave. In the Hebrew, does the language change from before Abraham is leading Isaac up, when he says, take your, your son, your only, does the language change after that to reflect something different? Does it, does it then change to say, your, your only son? Like, wh- wh- when he's up on Moriah, mm. the, God says, mm. you know, the, spare your son, your only. Like, does the language change? Tim? <laughs> I'm not... It doesn't change, right? But that 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 to me is is fascinating. That it does reflect, as as you said last week, that Isaac is an idol. Um, but then the language itself doesn't change. So is is it that Abraham's heart hasn't changed, or is it that like God has has moved him, or is it that you know, where? That, that I just, I, it's off the top of my head. That's it it was a test. Yeah. We know that. And, uh, but God did give up his only. Right. 
but his only is not idolatry. Yeah. But what the test was, do you love Isaac more than you love uh, uh, fear me? Yeah. So it's both and, not either yeah. or. Yeah, it's not either or. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I have uh, <clears throat> some admiration for Isaac to sit there and, and allow this, uh, how, what it must have been going through his head at the moment, you know. But <clears throat> that the graciousness of God that, you know, he delivers Abraham from that, but for his own son, you know, he's delivered for us. So, other comments or questions? Okay, well, thank you all. Um, Next week, um, Keith is going to continue with uh, looking at the covenant, and um, we will look forward to that. What, what, what's your focus next week? Rest. Rest. Oh, you bet. <laughs> next week it'll be uh, <coughs> the covenant fulfilled in, in rest and and in the Sabbath, uh, the the giving of the Sabbath. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. <clears throat> the narrative is just so astounding to see that you are a God of promise and a God of faithfulness. And we see Abraham, uh, imperfect, a sinner, who at times questioned, and yet, Father, ultimately obeyed. Father, we pray for us that as we face circumstances, especially this new year starts, as we face circumstances that seem imponderable and unresolvable, Help us to know that, that you are there for us, Father, that you are sovereign and that whatever comes our way is no surprise to you. Father, we pray now as we enter into a time of worship that we think about what this represents to us, the holiness of God, that you um, in your holiness took on the covenant curses that Abraham would be delivered and that through your son that we would be delivered as well. Father, that is the most amazing thing of all history. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.